It is well with my soul. It's one of my all-time favorite songs. It is well with my soul. So, today, I don't know how many of you know this, but today is an awesome day, especially for us Christians. Today is actually Palm Sunday. Today is the day where they took and they put Jesus on a young donkey and they put through coats in his path and palm branches and waved and he entered into Jerusalem and this begins Passion Week. This is my favorite time of year. Next Sunday is actually my favorite day of the year, Easter Sunday. Um, so it's just a wonderful, wonderful time. And this is such a time of celebration. It should be such a time of celebration for us because this is where all of our hope and faith and expectancy has its foundation in this season right here. Um, if you would, to open your Bibles to Luke 19, verse 28. And we're going to do just a little bit of reading, but that's okay. Everybody here likes reading, or will like reading, before long. <laughs> Luke 19, beginning in verse 28. This is actually the narrative to the entry into Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday, as we previously mentioned. Verse 28. And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany at Mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village over against you, in which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him unto Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they sat Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way, and he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Praise God. So, just out of curiosity, how are stones going to cry out? <laughs> um, you know, Jesus could have been meaning a whole lot of different things here. He could have been referencing John the Baptist when he said, I tell you, you know, don't rest in the fact that you're sons of Abraham, for God could raise up out of these stones sons of Abraham. He could have been making a, a scientific jab because he is omniscient. He could have been implying that rocks absorb noise and if you stop crying, the rocks will start crying. He could have been um, referencing uh, a metaphorical or allegorical meaning um, using some symbolism saying, you know, these stones represent the law and so even if they shut up, the law still testifies of me. Whatever the reason for him saying the rocks will cry out, we may not have an exact peg on. But one thing that we can trace and derive according to Scripture is the reason that the people were crying out. And it's summed up in one word, hope. 
uh, Zechariah 9 9 actually, um, I'm not going to go there, but basically it just prophesies the coming Messiah and that he's going to enter into Jerusalem on a cult or on a foul. And uh, so these people, they had their whole lives, because their culture was steeped in religion, they had heard the promise of this coming Messiah. They had so many different interpretations of what this Messiah was going to do, of what He was going to be, of what He was going to accomplish. And they let their interpretations supersede what the Scripture actually said. They had heard that this Messiah was going to deliver them. And so they implied that the deliverance was going to be from Roman rule. And so their hope was placed in an interpretation of Scripture, not in the Scripture itself. And so... You know, they, they looked for the coming of the Messiah. Moses had actually said there's going to be a prophet coming like me. And Moses was a deliverer. He led the Israelites out of Egypt. And so they're expecting, okay, this deliverer, this prophet like Moses is coming and he's going to lead us out of this Roman rule. And so they had hope in the Messiah, but their hope was in an interpretation of what the Messiah was going to be, not necessarily in the Messiah himself. And so that became a problem. Because the very same people that are here crying, Hosanna, blessed is the King, blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord, will in one week be crying, crucify Him. The same people that are crying, Hosanna, blessed be God, peace unto men, peace in heaven, they're going to be the ones crying, crucify Him. We have no part with Him. Let His blood be on our heads. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. The same people. And the reason is, is because Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at hope for just a minute because we're in a transition as a church and there's a fresh start initiative. And I'm not going to say much about a fresh start initiative from right here. I think that can be side conversation and that can be a beautiful thing. But this place is a place to lift up Jesus. But because of the transition, everybody here has expectancy, has hope, has faith, has all of this stuff for what we're coming into. And we just need to be clear what our hope is and where our hope is tied to. See, the Jews in first century Jerusalem had hope in the coming of a deliverer, the coming of a Messiah. <coughs> the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, were able to witness His resurrection and His crucifixion. And they were able to witness His 40 days. And they were able to witness the foundation of the early church and some of the miracles and things that happened. And we... Here, current Christians, we can look back to the things that Jesus did and to the finished work on the cross, and we can look presently at what God's doing, and we get the ability to look forward to the future. But whether it's past, present, or future, the truth is the same, that Christ is our hope. It's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. So no matter whether it's past, whether it's present, or whether it's future tense, Christ is our hope, and our hope needs to be placed in Christ and nothing else. First uh, Corinthians 13, we all know it's one of the most popular references there is. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. See, faith is the fixation and the focus of Christ. Hope is what gives us that fascination and that fervor waiting for that. And love is the fulfillment. That's why love is the greatest because hope and faith are us looking to Christ and love is Christ Himself. 
But just because love is the greatest, we can't ride out or write off faith and hope. We have to understand what faith and hope are. So I want to look at a, a passage. And if you want to turn there, you can. You don't have to. But it's Romans chapter 5, verse 4. And basically, it says something like this. And the King James will say something different than some of your other translations. Um, it says, Experience worketh hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God that is given unto us, or that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Mm-hmm. Hope maketh not ashamed. But what's interesting, and one thing that I've struggled with, or that's puzzled me rather, and that I've questioned because I didn't understand. Is that okay? Am I allowed to say that I don't personally understand something at times? Because I'm not the sum total of all wisdom and knowledge. That's Jesus' job. So... I had this question, and you may, you may have never had this question. You may be smarter than I am. But experience worketh hope. That always puzzled me. Hope is the aspiration of something that is to come. The Jews hoped for the coming Messiah. We hope that tomorrow is going to be a good day. We hope that God's going to move in this region. We're hoping for something that hasn't happened yet. Because once we have it, we no longer hope for it because we possess it. So hope is something future, but experience is something that has passed. We have experienced this past season. So it was always puzzling for me, how does experience, which is something past, work Hope, which is something that hasn't happened yet. How does experience, does that make sense what I'm saying? How does something that has happened give us hope or expectancy for something that hasn't happened or that we don't have? And I believe that the answer is summed up in one word, and that word is testimony. Because of what God has done, we can hope for what He will do. The word actual testimony, you can actually trace it out, and it's not its exact meaning, but there was an implication in the ancient Jews with the word testimony, and the implication was, do it again. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a testimony as in something that has happened, but it was literally testimony as in the expectancy attached to it of God, do it again. Mm -hmm. So, experience worketh hope. Because we have experienced who God is, so now we can hope for what He will do. And that's personal to me because through this season, Phil mentioned it last week of some of the things that we had went through. Finances, health, you know, a roof over our head. Just so many different things. Persecution, relationships breaking down. All of these things were coming against us all at the same time. But because we have experienced God's healing, we know that God's a healer, and so therefore we can hope in His healing. Because we have experienced God's provision, we know that He is our provider, therefore we can hope in His provision. Does that make sense? Because we have experienced who God is and what He has done, then we know that we can place our hope and our faith and our confidence and rest assured that He will do it again. Because God doesn't change. So if He did it over here, then He's going to do it over here. If He did it then, then He's going to do it now. So in all of our struggle, I was able to rest in the fact and hope in the fact that you can take everything that we have and I know who my God is. Joshua actually said it this way. When they came 
out of Egypt and they went through all of the struggles in the wilderness and all of the 40 years, they come into the promised land. Joshua had all the people together and he said, there has not failed one thing that God has promised to you, but every word came to pass. The problem is, is that it doesn't always come to pass the way that we interpret that it should. We don't always interpret things. And so then we'll start resting our hope and our faith and our interpretation, much like the first century Jews, and not in what God has actually said. So our understanding or our interpretation of what God has said, sometimes we place our confidence in that and not what He has actually said. So our hope has to be in the person of Jesus Christ and in His actual words, not in what we or another man has interpreted. Because I study this book a lot, but I am fallible. That means I can make mistakes. That means I can fall short. Phil said it better last week. I'm a man. I have shortcomings. I have failings. I have weaknesses. And I will see it wrong at some point. It may be a rarity, but I will see it wrong at some point. And if you search long enough, you'll find... I'm just kidding. But I do make mistakes, but Jesus doesn't. And so our hope has to be in Him, not in our interpretations or in a man other than the man, Jesus Christ. So... I actually, over the course of this past couple months in this season, actually developed this personal slogan, if you will. And I've been saying it to myself, reminding myself over and over again that I have reason to hope and to trust in God. And it's simply this, that God didn't fail Moses, and He didn't fail Joshua, and he didn't fail Elijah. He didn't fail Elisha or Enoch or Malachi or Hezekiah or Zechariah or Zerubbabel or any other prophet you want to pull out of the Old Testament. He didn't fail Paul. He didn't fail Peter or John or Thomas or Timothy or Titus or any other. And throughout 2,000 years of church history, he's never failed one church leader, one man, or one woman of God. He's never failed a single person. And through my life, He's never failed me. And I do not believe that He is going to choose today, April 14th of 2019, to start failing me. So therefore, because He has never failed me and He never changes, I have the ability to hope in Him. I mentioned Proverbs 13.12 said, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Psalm says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God. It's the psalmist encouraging himself. The circumstances say, be cast down. The circumstances say, you don't have any reason to hope. But the scripture says of Abraham that he hoped against hope. That means that his circumstances said that it is impossible. It might be better translated this way, he hoped against expectancy. He hoped against what his circumstances said that he should expect. He knew who Jesus was. He placed his hope and his faith in Jesus. And even though his circumstances said that he should expect everything but God to come through, he hoped against that expectancy. So we have the ability this morning, no matter what's going on in our life, we can let our circumstances, our health, our finances, our situation, our relationships, choose to create an expectancy in us and let our hope be deferred and make our hearts sick. Or, 
we can encourage ourselves and say, why are thou cast down? Hope in God. And we can achieve the second aspect of that Proverbs 13 verse. But when it cometh, when the hope comes, it's a tree of life. God is that tree of life. He brings life. I have a whole teaching that we'll get into at some point, how the cross is the tree of life. Jesus came and He rose from the dead. We have the ability to put our hope in Him. So to this morning, the challenge is we can, one, be cast down because of our circumstances and let our hope be deferred and be sick in our heart. Or we can realize that our hope is in God. He never fails. And therefore, we can rest assured that He's not going to choose today to start and it will become unto us a tree of life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that I haven't taken very long this morning. And it was my intention to preach only the Word that You gave me to preach. And I believe that I've done that. So God, right now, I just ask that You would just touch every heart and every mind here. And Lord, I just ask that if there is anyone here who is sick in their heart because their hope has been deferred, no matter what that hope may be, Lord Jesus, I just pray that You would visit them on a very personal scale. Lord Jesus, I would pray that we would realize that You never fail. This is an encouragement to me as much as it is to anyone else. God, I have the ability with 100% confidence to place all of my hope, my trust, my faith, and my expectancy in You and know that You will not let me down. Lord, You are faithful. That's not just an attribute that You have, but that's the very nature of who You are. You are faithful. Lord, so be faithful to us this morning. Lord, be faithful to us and let this day be a day where we find our hope, where we rest in Your promises knowing that they are sure, that they are tried, that they are true, and that they will inevitably come to pass. Regardless of whether or not we have the ability to trust in them. We know that You do not fail. Even when we prove unfaithful, You abide faithful because it's who You are. Lord Jesus, just let us not abide unfaithful. Let us, let us be faithful this morning. Let us be full of the faith and the hope and the trust in You. I want to do something. I like praying for people. If anyone here, for any reason, doesn't have hope, I would like to pray for you. I don't linger long. I don't spend 30 minutes trying to make an altar call. I just like to pray for people. Let's do this. Everybody close your eyes. I'm not even a big person of this. A proponent. Everybody close your eyes. Right now, you don't even have to come up. I just want to pray for you. I want to know how to pray for you on a personal scale. If your hope is deferred and your heart is sick, just raise your hand. Okay. Lord, you've seen who raised their hands. Lord, let's make this personal and let's let them be encouraged this morning that you are our hope. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, remind them that that hope is present inside of them. And Lord, be to them a well of life this morning and fill them, every fiber of their being, with that hope that you possess and let them be re-encouraged and revitalized in faith this morning with a new sense of expectancy that that hope 
will come to pass. And it will not fail because you do not fail. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh,